0: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Pratt, and our guest today is Dustin Miles. He is one of the founders of Momentum Family, and he focuses on the strategic direction, acquisitions, and asset management of the company. So welcome to the show, Dustin. How are you doing?
1: Great. Great. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday to you, too. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, Dustin, if you can please share and how you got started in real estate.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll start back to when I was about eight years old. <laughs> uh, so my I've always been pretty entrepreneurial. So I was a little kid. I had a candy business. When I was eight years old. I sold blow pops, jelly ranchers, and laffy taffy. Laffy taffy's my favorite. So, <laughs> but but yeah, made I was profiting about fifty bucks a week. Uh, eight years old and. That was going well until my the school shut me down and said I need to stop selling candy or they were going to kick me out. So I stopped selling candy. But yeah, when I was a little kid, I sold, bought, and sold baseball cards, candy uh, through carnivals. If there's a way of making money, I was probably trying to do it. And then went I went to UT Austin for engineering school, and so and I also started a business while I was there, is e-commerce business. And I didn't know anything about them, but I sold Pokemon cards across the world. And so it was interesting. So I'd go to engineering school classes and all that. So I'd have two backpacks. I'd have my engineering backpack. And then on the other side, I'd have uh, my backpack full of Pokemon cards that I would go to the post office to send stuff out. So it was kind of fun, but kind of did that. And then after that, you know, started, you know, went the typical route. A lot of people went, I started buying rentals and doing some flips and things like that. And uh, so that was kind of my first foray into real estate. So that started that about 15 years ago. And then from there, you know, got did that, made a little bit of money and kind of quickly realized I'm like it's going to be tough to scale. It's a lot of work. I mean, I you know, made some okay money, but it's a lot of work. And so, you know, started looking at some other options and met some people that had uh, bought some apartments, invested in apartments. And so I you know, started looking at that and I invested passively into a few deals. And then I started putting deals together and I uh, put together uh, 11 syndications and a little over 125 million in value. And uh, so we I've sold six to date. And so I started that in 2014 and then we just, we bought a deal about two months ago or so pretty recently. So, Yep.
0: Wow, thank you so much for sharing, Dustin. You have quite a bit of a background there. And fifty dollars a week for an eight-year-old—that's incredible.
1: Yeah, my the corner of my room was all candy, (laughs) and I didn't eat my profits away.
0: And then, so how, like, what what did your parents think about all of that?
1: They were determining whether to start charging me rent.
0: (laughs) They wanted a cut of the profit. They want their
1: tax, yeah.
0: That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) So Destin, you talked about getting into multifamily and you started off as a passive investor. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how did you find the sponsors that you wanted to invest with and what did you look for when investing with a a sponsor?
1: Yeah. uh, So the person I ended up, Investing with was... He was a friend of mine. But before that, I would go to networking events. And this was this was 2011, 2012. And there weren't... Facebook was not a, as big of a thing. And just online networks in general weren't as big. And it was more difficult to find... Other or I guess fine multifamily people. All the people I was I were exposed to, I'd go to these different meetups, and everybody I was exposed to did single family. You know, maybe someone had like five rental houses or you know, a few duplexes or something like that. But I didn't know anyone who had multifamily. So I remember I went to the single family meetup. It was called DFW Rain. It was hosted by Kathy Crow. And this is probably. 2007 or so, and or 2008. So I remember going to her meeting, and I met this guy that owned 24 doors, and he lived in Dallas. He owned, I think, his 24 doors in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I was completely blown away because that it up to that date I didn't know anyone who owned more than five doors. And so I remember I kind of stalked him and took him out to lunch and all that. He was super super nice guy. So but met him and then I found a club that specialized in multifamily. It's called Lifestyles Unlimited that I was a member of. And so went there and I met people that own 50 doors and then 100 doors and then a few hundred doors and then a few thousand doors. I remember I went to lunch with a guy that owned 10,000 doors. And so once you kind of, start to get around those people, you start to quickly realize that, you know, so there's a Jim Rome quote, you're the average of the five people you hang around. So I started hanging around, you know, those people. And so I started to believe, hey, no offense to them, they're smart people, but like if they can do it, I can do this. And so, you know, really started to kind of more or less, you know, just believe I could do this. And so once I you know, kind of started being around those people. A buddy of mine was putting a deal together uh, not too long after I really started to get comfortable with things. And I was trying to wind down the single family activity. And so he was like, Hey, do you want to be passed on deal? And so I was like, Sure, I'm throwing a little bit of money. And I was, I was, Still, it, it wasn't like a ton of money, but it was especially at the time, it was a lot for me and it was 25,000 bucks. And so, and he was like, or I asked him, I was like, can I be a key principal? Because I learned that if I was a key principal, that starts building my resume because I knew I thought I wanted to go and put deals together myself. And he was like, yeah, you we can do that, but I want you to put in more money. And so, uh, so I ended up, yeah, putting in 50 K and, and that was really, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money period, but especially at the time it was a lot of money. And so, um, yeah, I ended up doing that and I was like, Hey, well, if I'm putting this money in. I want kind of be there for due diligence and I want to be a little more a part of this. I want to see how this works and kind of get comfortable with everything. And so man he was agreeable that I was friends with him so that helped too but yeah that was kind of my first deal and it's in North Dallas which is a fantastic part of DFW and we actually still have the deal today. We've refinanced it a few times and just keeps on chugging along.
0: And so, after that first investment as a passive investor, you got your. It sounds like you got a lot of hands-on experience as well. Kind of, how did you, from there? What did you kind of do next afterwards?
1: I invested in another deal with him. I ended up hiring a, a coach too that that helped out with you know on the apartment side as well. Uh, so it was someone I'd met at, at Lifestyles, uh, left Lifestyles, and. Uh, ended up joining his group, Brad Sumrock. But yeah, ended up doing that, and and then on my first deal, so I was you know had the coach, and then and then also the, the guy I had invested passively with, I teamed up with him. So we did. He was part of my my first deal too. Uh, so that was. I'm a big believer, in it's no matter what you're wanting to do, whether like I had running goals right now, so I went and hired a running coach. Or ten years ago or so I was wanting to do a triathlon and I didn't know how to swim laps. So I went and hired a swim coach. No matter what you're wanting to do in life, and in my opinion, you kinda of want to leapfrog or get ahead, either partner up with people or you go hire a coach that's available and has a track record of being able to coach people and what you're wanting to achieve.
0: And so now, can you talk a little bit about that transition from being a passive investor a little bit more and into the active side of things? And how did you start building up your team? And then you said you also partnered with some of the other people you had done passive investing with in the past. So you can talk a little bit more about that as well.
1: Yeah, I've gone to, as I mentioned on the single family side, i would always gone to a lot of events and collected a lot of business cards. And so I continued to go to a lot of events as I was becoming a, a deal sponsor and, and all that. And so I mean, just lots of networking, it helped that the person I partnered up with had a little bit of a track record. And so that helped, I think, sway some people as well. But yeah, really just, um, you know, put myself out there and networking and all that. But the transition from single or from passive to active it's not a, a small step there's you're basically you're at the bottom of the staircase and then is passive and at the the top is active i mean you're have, there's multiple there's a lot of steps going on there and there's a lot of responsibility and it's frankly especially on the first one it's pretty scary and there's a lot of money at stake and you know, the first deal i bought was by today's standards a small deal bought it for 4 million dollars bought it for is 38,000 a door which is a steal right now the the same deal goes for close to 100 a door and put together 1.7 million in equity and that was scary that was scary accepting Large sums of money from people, I was responsible for people who worked a long time, worked really hard to you know accumulate this money and so that's a that's a huge responsibility and then you know there's a lot of earnest money involved there's a lot of lender got I put up a lender fee of you know, it depends on who you go with and size alone, and all that stuff. But you know, it's typically between you know twelve and twenty five thousand. And so, I mean, there's just left and right. You're just writing all these checks, and you're like, oh, it's getting uncomfortable real fast.
0: And so, you talked a little bit about raising equity for the first time, and you raised a, over a million dollars. How did you handle that process? And it was the first time that you were doing it. How did you kind of get into the mindset? And how are you able to build out your investor base?
1: Again, just lots of networking. It helped the group that I was in, you know, helped facilitate some of that too. It's not not rocket science, and, and you don't have to be an awesome public speaker, especially at the time. I was terrible. I was in Toastmasters. I was trying to get better. And I have to say now I'm serviceable. But at the time it was I was really nervous. I was, you know, speaking in front of 20, 50, hundred people, and that, you know that was really scary for me. I was not not a natural public speaker. Now I play I talk my whole life. You get me on a soccer field, all y'all. But you know, and I don't know for some reason when there's you know hundred people looking at you, you're like, oh okay, this is a uh, little nerve wracking. But but no, it was you know it's all about communication. I I think pretty much everybody that was in that deal, I probably had lunch with them at least once. And they would see me at all the networking events. I held my own networking events. I mean, I just out there uh, just communicating with people kind of trying to stay top of mind. And at the time, Facebook was not as much of a a tool for keeping in touch as it is now. But yeah, I post on Facebook some too.
0: We love hosting this show. A podcast is the best way to do both. And we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Awesome. And so, Dustin, as you were building up your business, you acquired 11 different properties right now and you've gone full cycle on 6 of them you said. And so can you talk about like when you actually are getting ready for going full cycle and doing the sell of the property? Can you talk a little bit about that process and how did you recognize that it was a good time to sell?
1: Yeah, it depends on the deal and all that. There were one deal that we just got a really good deal on honestly. We Bought it I think 2016, late 2016, early 2017, we bought it for a 9 cap now you you know, just, just fall over. But buy for a nine cap and prove the value and, and all that. But there was some cap rate compression that helped out. And so I always get at least once a year, get BOVs from brokers and talk to lenders because I want to see where things are positioned at. And then I also want to see... I want to get feedback from them. Hey, is there something that we need to work on? And so I think doing that on a yearly basis, you you know, start to understand, okay, we're in a position now that the one deal I'm I'm mentioning, there was a, a CNBS assumption, which those are not very difficult sometimes to assume, but uh, it took us nine months to close that deal. But there was the assumption part and all that. And I would reach out to brokers and saw that we could basically double our money within I think it was ended up being about a two and a half year period, and so it's like, well, money's on the table, and at the time, on this was early 2019. There was still thought that people were concerned about there being a downturn and and all that, and so it felt like we were towards the top of the market. Whether that was true or not, uh, it looks like it just is continuing to kind of irk up, go up some. But for us, it was like, well, you have a ton of equity in the property. Let's go ahead and realize that return. And so we we ended up selling. Some other deals that we haven't sold, what we've done is we refinanced. And the ones that we've refinanced and held, the reason why we did that is because we really like the area. That the property's in, if there, if it's an area that, you know, and we've learned a lot over 11 deals, right? So there's some deals where we got in and we we thought, frankly, we thought the area was a little better than it was, and so once we got into it, we're like, okay, there's an opportunity to exit. Let, let's go ahead and take it. There was a deal in Oklahoma City that I sold. Uh, there was no cap rate compression at all. We bought at an eight cap, we sold at an eight cap, and so I'm actually. You know, really proud of that. There's a lot of, you know, people that. Oh, I made. I'm in the same boat too. I mean, I made a lot of money, but there was a lot of it. A portion of it, at least, came from that cap rate compression. You know, when you buy buy an eight cap and and now it's lower than a six cap. But let's say you buy an eight cap in 2016 and you sell at a six cap in 2018. Well, let's say you don't move the NOI. Let's say your NOI is is flat. Let's say it's 500k. Well, just because that cap rate compression, you made two million dollars. So I'm trying to illustrate the point of how much cap rates can affect pricing and how much money you can make. But we, the deal in Oklahoma, it was, we got into it and frankly, the, we had a tougher time moving the rental income. Uh, We changed out managers and things like that. And we just, we couldn't move the rental income, but we did some other, we were able to cut some expenses, which we knew going in and we were able to build back water, which they weren't doing. And so we were able to. Our investors ended up getting a sixty-five percent return on their money just from, like I said, there was no cap rate compression on that. But that was a deal where, like I said, we got into it. The the area was a little more challenging than we anticipated, and there was a, a window where we thought it was good to go ahead and sell. And and so we ended up doing that.
0: Awesome, thank you for sharing. And so we talked a little bit. You mentioned a little bit about the markets, and so right now. In your opinion, how does the market look like now?
1: So I think my crystal ball broke a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I do is, I mean, I started at a fantastic time, right? I started making offers on deals in 2013, landed a deal in 2014. So I started at a fantastic time. I would have known, I know now I would have bought everything under the sun and be worth a lot more money right now, but given where it is and all that, I pay a lot of attention to macroeconomics and just kind of uh, you know kind of your higher level what what's going on. And I'm only going to speak about Texas. I know Arizona is growing like crazy, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas are all growing like crazy, and I'm sure there's some other markets I'm missing too. But Texas. I know DFW numbers and Houston numbers and Austin numbers really well, but there's within DFW and Austin over the past 10 years, those two metros have grown more than any other metros in the country. And that is supposed to continue over the next 10 years. There's no other metro in the country that's going to add more people than those two metros. So just kind of given that, that high level, lots of people moving in, you know, the fact that there's obviously a lot of job growth as well. I think at a high level, everybody And another thing is, you know, COVID really pointed to the fact of really looking at necessities. What do people need? Everybody needs food, water, and shelter and multifamily fits that that shelter buck. So just kind of looking at some multifamily is a need. There's a heck of a lot of people moving into Texas, especially within that Texas triangle. And so just kind of given that, I I think multifamily is is, as a bed as, as any, but... Given not all, just because all of DFW is growing or Houston at a high level is growing, it doesn't mean all the submarkets within that metro are equal, right? I mean, there's some areas are going to do really well and, and some are not going to do quite as well. So we are very, very focused on uh, location. Because you're in a long-term relationship or potentially just however you want to view it, a marriage with this property and same thing with investors. But you're in this long-term relationship, at least in the property for probably at least three to five years, potentially 10, just depends on how things play out. And so, you know, we really look, really focus on location we location, even before we look at any of the numbers on the property, we're looking at household income, we're looking at crime, we're looking at schools. Can you actually find the property? Is the property next to an electrical substation? Has it been flooded before? You know, is it next door to industrial? That is extremely not attractive. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that play into uh, play into that. But so we're, we're super focused on location because uh, I've seen deals where and this is hopefully kind of helpful for some other people. Uh, so I've seen deals where I've seen multiple management companies go into one property and no one does well. So, I mean, it just, at least from my perspective, you know, you can change it. And sometimes the management company is not doing a good job, but it just points to the fact that location is so important. You can't change who your neighbors are. You can put a lot of money into a property. You can put you know millions of dollars into a, a CapEx, but you can't change who your neighbors are. Yeah, you can maybe, you know, your tenant base, you can maybe upgrade a little bit. But if you're in a, an area where the schools are not as strong, if someone's looking for really strong schools, they're not going to go there. That's just how it is. So... Anyways, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but, but yeah, we're just super focused on that. And yeah, I I think if you, if you buy in good areas, strong areas, and I think there is a pullback and all that things may slow down a little bit, but those good areas are always going to prevail and, and those are going to be attractive for potential tenants in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Dustin. And so Dustin, what is next for you and what are you looking to do?
1: We're, we're looking to grow the company or we're, we're interested in adding you know two to three deals this year. And we'd like to continue building the portfolio. We're hyper-focused on... To me, I think it's a pretty simple business. It's you take care of your tenants and you take care of your investors. And I think everything else will work out. So we want to give our tenants an awesome experience. We want to give our investors, you know, a a really good experience as well. We're, I don't know when this will air, but we're about to send out investor gifts for everybody. And, and that's, I don't think a whole lot of people do that and we're doing it just, we want to add that, that special uh, touch, you know, something that I've, been doing, you know, recently is just to kind of go above and beyond what other people are doing is, and I've heard about uh, this is something that George Bush had done over his career, uh, George H. Bush. So he would send a, just a thank you card or just a quick, you know, just handwritten letter to folks. And so I've started doing that some too, just to kind of. You know separate myself because no one who does that no one so just trying to separate ourselves a little bit but in general just trying to get better than you know yesterday or last quarter or last year and i want to provide superior value to uh to our tenants and to our investors and then on the personal side i have some different i post a decent amount about i run and have some fitness goals so i'm wanting to run a mile under five minutes, and then I'm wanting to run a quarter mile under sixty seconds. And so I hired a coach to help me get there. And so I'm hoping to knock those out soon.
0: Oh, those are incredible goals, Dustin. <laughs> and so, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far?
1: Great question. Uh, so, earlier this year, within a, a thirty day period, I had I bought a house, I bought an apartment complex, and then I quit my engineering job. So real estate's been great for me. It's it's allowed me a lot of flexibility, allowed me the ability to travel, you know, spend more time with my son. Not that right now it's a little awkward with COVID and all that, but before COVID, I was usually the only dad that was his uh, school parties and things like that. So for me, that's, that's a lot of fun. And he's nine now, and uh, fortunately, he still likes to be around me. And we'll see what that looks like once he's a teenager. Hopefully it doesn't change. But I realized that there's a small window where, I mean, he's, I'm a blink and he's going to be a teenager. And so I'm really just trying to spend as much time possible as I can with him. And then I would say that real estate's allowed me to work out a, a decent amount and I'm on a board of a charity. And so really interested in trying to, you know, give back had a little bit of success and all that. And so I like to give back. And then additionally, there's people that reached out and all that. And so I don't remember the exact quote, but basically it's, you know, you have two hands, one to kind of, you know, pull yourself up and then the other one to help someone, you know, uh, behind you and just, yeah, just trying to add value to others. And so, yeah, and real estate has given me a lot of time, flexibility to do that.
0: Awesome. Congratulations on all the success that you've experienced up until now and all the future success that you're definitely going to achieve. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so Dustin, I appreciate everything that you came on the show and shared about today. And so I'm sure the listeners are curious more about learning about you and what you do. And so if they wanted to go find out more, Dustin, where can they go?
1: Yeah, they can just go to MomentumMultiFamily.com. My email is Dustin at Momentum Uh Or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, but LinkedIn a little bit. I'm trying to get better over there. But uh do warn you if you follow me on uh, Instagram or Facebook, there's going to be a lot of multifamily running my son and hiking. So that's about all I've got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those are great things to look at too, as well. Yeah, Dustin, thank you so much again for coming onto the show. I really appreciate everything. Yeah.
1: Thank, thank you. you. I had fun time. Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We'd really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonafestcapital.com and fill out the Contact Us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.